0: Hi, and welcome back to the show. Today I am joined by Alex Holmes. He is the Chief Growth Officer of Influx.com. Influx is about 10 years old. They have about 1,000 staff, so they have been growing well. They focus pretty much specifically on customer service with a little bit of sales, but primarily customer service. And they have an interesting philosophy that talent trumps location. So they have always been location-independent, site-free, and they hire people based on their capabilities, not where they are sitting. So really interesting conversation with Alex, and great to see how Influx has developed themselves and their processes and their company over the last 10 years. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you do too. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast and we jump straight into the conversation i asked alex to give us an outline of influx here we go this podcast is brought to you by outsource accelerator we are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory we help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs and we can help you too we cover everything from offshore business and staffing strategy, optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you are already outsourcing, about to start, or are somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your offshore operations. The Outsource Accelerator Marketplace now covers over 3,000 outsourcing firms, representing a global workforce of over 5 million people. We also host this leading outsourcing podcast, publish inside Outsourcing, and have over 15,000 pages of content on the site. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you, get the best deal possible. Get in touch today. Visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Also, if you find this podcast interesting or valuable, please share it. We have now produced hundreds of episodes featuring the outsourcing world's most prominent luminaries. Please show your support by sharing this podcast today.
1: Thanks for having me. Um, So Influx is a month-to-month fully managed customer service operation. We run 24-7. Almost all of our plans are month-to-month. We run everything from shared agent teams to five agent teams to 100 seat teams, um, operating almost entirely in the CS space and a little bit of sales as well.
0: Right, right. And how long have you been going and, and what size are you?
1: Uh, yep. So we launched a little over 10 years ago. I've been with the company for about seven and a half years. Um, we're about a thousand people around the world now.
0: That's impressive. That's impressive. And was uh, Task Us sort of um, what, like, uh, you know, a North Star for you? Were you particularly sort of influenced and impressed by the, the rise, the fast rise of Task Us?
1: Uh, Yeah, yeah. So when I started, I actually didn't know much about the outsourcing world when I started. Um, And then Taskus was a name. They did some really cool stuff around kind of culture and positioning and brand. Um, And so in some ways, you know, I guess you could say that was a North Star, um, but it's an absolutely massive space. And we also knew from the beginning, we didn't want to be a facility business. And they were very much a facility business. Um, They were operating at the time, I think mostly out of the Philippines. Again, this was almost eight years ago. Um, And we actually have very little presence in the Philippines. So we've had a lot of success um, recruiting in our hubs through the distributed model, through the Talent Trump's location model, which was one of our founding principles. So kind of of targeting a similar type of client, I think, in terms of the fast-growing tech company, um, but our way of doing it um, at the time was quite different um, and you know as we get bigger I think we have more of a you know a traditional BPL operating model and proposition um, but at the time it was it was uh, it was quite a bit different.
0: Right there's a lot to unpack there um, yeah. the talent <laughs> trumps I believe the hubs uh, really interesting and, and also not Philippines and, and not sort of heavy on site so I want to dig into all of that but you know first of all um, are you surprised? Like, having now been in the industry, a lot of people—no one really plans to get into the outsourcing industry. A lot of people just fall mm-hmm. into it, of course. But um, knowing what you know now, and knowing that there's, you know, the big giants of the industry with hundreds of thousands of staff, and are you surprised that there's still opportunity for new entrants and growth? in customer service when you know the big giants have sort of been nailing it for 30 years and have hundreds of staff and it is quite incredible isn't it you know that that we have influx of a thousand staff we have um task us that you know started relatively recently and there are tens of thousands of staff it's it's an amazing sort of green shoots opportunity
1: yeah yeah absolutely it's a it's a fun space to be in because it's a huge space there's always room to grow Um, There's always new opportunities. There's always new types of companies coming in looking for a new type of partner to work with. You know, there's always always new jobs to be done in terms of what a client wants or what a client's customers want. Um, And there's, I think, just massive room for innovation, um, both in terms of what you're ultimately selling to a client or providing to their customer, but also um, in terms of how you operate. Um, Because both of those sides are incredibly important in terms of running um, a high-performance operation.
0: Right, right. And so, what was your kind of magic formula? Most people start with a thesis, and you know it evolves over time. But you, you say you're not really focused on the Philippines. You say you don't really have offices, like. What, what's, um, what is your core kind of? Yeah,
1: yeah. So from the mind? beginning, um, I say we, but I, you know, I wasn't a founder. I just came in two and a half years later. So I'll, I'll kind of speak on their behalf. Um, so one of the early visions and principles was Talent Trump's location. So let's find the best people in the world that want to be CS agents and team leaders and managers and find a way for them to be successful with the types of companies we want to work with. Now, Talent Trump's location sounds amazing because you have this huge recruiting funnel Um, But what happens when you have people all over the world is you've got massive coordination problems, even if someone's working in the same region, you know, what happens if you have to troubleshoot some problem A clients, you know, in San Francisco, and then you've got an agent in Jamaica and a team leader in Indonesia, um, you know, it takes four days to get anything done. That's obviously not good enough. Um, So how do you solve that problem? And from the early days, we've been very technology focused. Um, two of the founders are engineers. Um, actually, the early problem we were solving is they had some side applications that just kind of took off in terms of users and help desk tickets, and they needed a simple, flexible turn-on, off, uh, turn turn-off support operation, and that's how Influx started. So we, we had this kind of engineering and product expertise at the top from day one, and from that, what's emerged is... Um, An application we call the people app which actually clients don't see but that's kind of the foundation of everything we do Um, and that provides workflows for everyone it creates visibility respectability Um, you know we're tracking client slas by the week um, client success qualitative assessments financial planning all of that Um, and so the way we tackle the coordination problem is through a technology approach which i think is quite unique um, and to this day, I've always thought about how do we actually present this technology offering to the broader market. Um, but most clients coming in aren't actually asking about that. It's just about what well, can you hit my SLAs? Can you scale up quickly? That kind of thing. And, and the reason we're able to say yes is we've built these foundations, uh, which, is, which is part of the technology solution, part of the business processes that sit on top of those technology solutions. And then thirdly, we've, we've got the talent that we've been able to bring in using the technology to initially hire them and then connect them with workforce in other parts of the world.
0: Right. Yeah. And did, were there any learnings from, you know, just taking talent anywhere? If, if, you know, they're Mm -hmm. good at an interview, did you sort of focus on a few key locations, key countries, or, you know, is it literally sort of one person from every country in the world. Um, What what are your learnings from (laughs) that?
1: Yeah, so what naturally emerges is these kind of mini hubs. So often the best people you find is through referrals. And so naturally it's kind of friends and friends of friends who come over and work for us. Um, And so, you know, even if you look at a country like Indonesia, which has a, I think it's about 180 million population. But, you know, if you look up people's addresses, you'll find these kind of clusters in, in different cities across, you know, across Indonesia, for example.
0: Right, right, uh, and how does that? How do you interact then with the different sort of? I assume English is is almost perfect for all of your candidates, but yeah, like sort of cultural and communication differences.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. So everyone, everyone's absolutely fluent in English. Um, uh, so you know, how do we communicate? How do we set standards? Um, a lot of that is set from the beginning when agents start. So we have a delivering confidence deck, for example, that our CEO presents, I believe he still presents it to most people that join the company, even though we're bigger now. And that sets standards on how we expect people to operate, how we expect them to join a video call, um, you know, how you expect someone to show up on time, all, all kind of the basics. Um, and then one of our values is communicating uh, while prioritizing the listener. So we expect people to communicate in a fashion where um, what you say actually lands with the person that you're talking to, which is often a hard thing to do, um, even as a professional communicator for 20 years. Um, that's something I think about all the time.
0: Right. Yeah, it's fascinating. Huh? And um, so the journey as a company then, like, it, um, it obviously was born out of scratching an own itch. You know, it it sounded like you sort of, the founders had technological background and they needed CS for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then was it really just kind of without too much investigation, just saw an opportunity in the market and and offered customer service to other?
1: Yeah, yeah, they just went for it. So actually, interestingly, the the original vision was AWS for customer service. Um, So AWS, Amazon Web Services, fabulously successful um, hosting product. Um, and the beauty of AWS is whenever you need hosting um, or speed, you just turn the dial and you get it. It happens automatically in the background. Um, so Influx launched as a pay-per-response, outcome-only customer service operation. You pay per ticket, you pay per response, and you know we take care of everything. Um, and so that's actually still a a significant chunk of our business. But what we've done is we've layered on top of that kind of the more typical agents on demand, full teams, et cetera. Um, But at the time it was, it was very different. Um, And it was something I was, I found that really intriguing. Like I've always been attracted to disruptive business models and, you know, first principles, ways of thinking of things. Um, There were a lot of faults in, in delivering that, uh, which we could get into. Um, A big one is they, you know, CS for, you know, someone who's trying to update a website um, that, you know, someone who's using a WordPress plugin or something like that. It's not really about the relationship with the support agent as much. It's really about just get me that link, fix this as quickly as possible. So a faceless operation can be really effective. And that's how Influx was operating 10 years ago. Um, we've made a ton of changes since then, but a really big one is we actually need to introduce the people we're working with on the client side to the people that work at Influx. And we need to build those relationships and we need to figure out communication mechanisms and operating rhythms and all that and really interlock our team with your team. Um, in the early days, that was never really part of the vision. It was about how do we, how do we launch and run a successful outcome-only support operation Uh, For these online apps, um, where the tickets come in at, you know, different rates and different frequencies and things,
0: right? Because there was magic as well, wasn't there? Which was a Silicon Valley kind of startup, and that was Mm. um, almost, you know, sort of personal services, virtual assistant kind of stuff, but on a ticket by ticket basis. And again, there, I think it's it's good in theory, but then it lacks Mm. that consistency and and. Yeah, so everything has yeah. to be in SOPs. And I think it can work in theory, but it doesn't really work in practice. Yeah,
1: yeah. what we found that, yeah, that's exactly right. So what we found in practice is it works for some very specific use cases. So like the solo founder that, you know, has a really simple ticket flow and that kind of thing, and really just can't be bothered with it, like it, it kind of can work there. Um, but with most companies, it does not work. And, um, uh, uh, yeah. So it's, um, yeah, it's it's been it's been an interesting. Yeah. So the thing that actually I'd, I'd say the biggest mistake we made is uh, at that time is kind of opening the doors to everyone with that type of model. And uh, the big learning is it only works with certain types of companies. Right. Right.
0: Yeah. And you know, Amazon. You mentioned AWS, and Amazon itself has Amazon Turk, which was a an attempt at fractionalizing the workforce, wasn't it? You know, like Mm -hmm. if you can just get someone to do one little task and pay them sort of micropayments. But I think the sort of missing link there, there's two is because, you know, I I talk about this because uh, a podcast um, a couple of weeks back was with Courtney Mayers of uh, Omni Interactions and their Mm -hmm. outsourcing firm actually specializes in, uh, two hour, like sort of small chunks of work, but scaled. Mm-hmm. So, if a you know massive public company has a surge of people calling every four to six PM, then they would actually come in and provide the staffing for the two hour slot. And of course, it takes mm-hmm. a lot of work to organise all of that. Um, mm-hmm. But I just sort of think part of the, the missing link is humans don't necessarily want to work fractionally. You know, yeah. people want a sort of forty hour reliable thing where they kind of know what they're doing and they know where they're going to go. And then also there's the overhead of training, isn't there in terms of like, you know, to get someone up to speed with one thing might take three months of training. And if they're going to cover 10 different products, it's, there's difficulty. Yeah.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, What we found is, you know, people aren't machines and what happens when you start slicing people up and they only work for one hour at a time is quality drops Um, And it drops because, you know, people are jumping around and they're not as trained up on the latest processes, Um, but it also drops from a personal engagement perspective. If you're kind of just sitting there not doing anything and then just answer the occasional ticket, you're not really engaged um, and kind of practiced on how to actually respond and deliver an excellent experience. Um, and so there are ways of delivering this, you know, this is still, you know, a chunk of our business and it works really well for the right types of clients. You know, we've got event clients, for example, that for example, that just need to scale up, you know, for a World Cup event, that kind of thing. But um, for a lot of products, as soon as you have enough volume to go to a full-time agent, um, it makes a lot of sense. And then it's actually on the operators on the other side and the product managers on the other side to set up your product in a way where the stream of conversations is more reasonable and easier to predict.
0: Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Like, don't get me wrong. As you say, for the World Cup and stuff, there's um, really incredible use cases for this, and it's absolutely mm-hmm. necessary. But I think, uh, yeah, um, humans work best with. Yeah, it's uh, tricky. Set.
1: I I, um, I think it's kind of this ideal, this ideal that someone has before they actually work with a, a customer service operation where, where they think you can kind of just turn it up and down and and just magically accomplish things. Um, I, I think, you know, obviously, AI is probably going to start taking on more of that space. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's an interesting space to watch. And, um, you know, a lot of people have had a go at it. We had, I think, two Y combinator back companies in the early days. One, like, just copied our entire website. Basically, neither of them made it. So um, yeah it's hard it's really hard. you know it's um, I like to think our moat is hard. Uh, I saw this Bezos Bezos message from 10 years ago and I like that because it's 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 a, it's a big it's a big challenge what we're working on and we're really proud of what we've built. it's really it's really hard. It's kind of people plus technology plus client, client relationships and you know 24/7 it's, it's hard.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? And, you know, I think um, like we talk at Outsource Etc a lot about the future of work and, you know, there's Mm. these kind of like far flung sci-fi visions of how people are going to work. But I think it doesn't Mm. kind of go far because you're still fundamentally humans, you know, and the humans themselves kind of want to go home and have dinner and, you know, and so it can't go too far from the tree and yep. um you know when people go too crazy in terms of sort of the sci-fi of how it's people are going to interact and work together often it's it's kind of hard to to play out isn't it but it's it's mm-hmm. fascinating i find it fascinating to sort of explore all these things and because like crypto and web3 and you know they were sort of knocking on the door a little bit as well there was a um, upwork that was kind of crypto enabled and i assume Mm. that's gone to zero now as well where (laughs) effectively everyone on the platform was an owner of the platform which again Mm. makes a lot of sense but then it's really hard to execute isn't it you know it's really hard to get those things going yeah totally so and um you've been going 10 years you say uh no sites so have you always been home-based and of course since covid that's sort of fairly standard now but um, have yeah, you been yeah. Home based yep.
1: So we've been fully distributed from day one. Uh, the one exception to that is we have about six people in our Melbourne office, uh, which is our head office, and we come in about three days a week. Um, we find that to be really effective at a leadership level because there's a lot of kind of iteration and, you know, tricky conversations we got to navigate. And being able to do that in person every week, I think, is a real advantage.
0: Yeah, yeah. And um, any, any learnings from home-based?
1: Um, oh, yeah. You, yeah. Oh, yeah. How much time do we have? Pros and cons to it? Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. Like yeah. No,
0: I, I sort of see well, it as this um, longitudinal experiment that we're all just yeah. sort of running through with no I'm, kind
1: of... I'm loving watching this play out with a lot yeah. of companies that are saying, oh, yeah, we'll have our, you know, we'll disperse our leadership team across the U.S. and Australia and Singapore. And I'm like, oh, that's going to be tricky. The way I think about distributed work is... So you can always make it work. It's really a matter of efficiencies. So if the more operational a job is, the more defined a job is, the more it's fine to work from home. And remember, working from home is always better for the individual. It's just worse for the manager and it's worse for the manager of the manager. So if you think about it from a top down, how are we going to make this company as successful as possible perspective? You want your people to be enabled and successful and happy. at at their own level, but at the same time, the company has needs and coordination problems and visibility problems and all that. So how do you find that middle ground where both sides are working really well? I think it comes down to defining which roles have really defined scope where the coordination problems are at a minimum. And luckily for us, I think most customer service roles are really well defined and we find the most successful clients and the most successful managers inside our company are really good at systemizing things and saying, this is what success looks like and this is how we track performance and all that. Because once you do that, then distributed works incredibly well and you can find the best people wherever they are, you plug them into the system and everyone's happy. As soon as you have roles where there's a lot of novelty and you have to coordinate quickly and make decisions quickly, um, remote and work from home works increasingly less effectively. Um and so and so that's the trade-off. And especially if you're working across time zones, that's where it gets really tricky, or even across, you know, US and APAC, that's where it gets tricky again. Um and that, you know, that just bring it back to influx, but that's why we back, you know, the uh the follow the sun model, for example, is you still get the work from home, but then it reduces the coordination problem of point of contact in one one time zone Um, or it's easier when the point of contact and the main operational contact are working in pretty close hours. And
0: what have you seen with culture and loyalty? I mean, customer service is renowned for having relatively high churn rates. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I do worry about home-based. If people never have those, you know, the beers after work and the water cooler Mm -hmm. moments, do they build that the the cultural connection as strong? Um, And do they just sort of, you know, flip out to another job as soon as it gets tough.
1: Yeah. So, so what we found is, is um, we found a lot of things on this topic, but a big one is that people typically stick around if, um, well, number one, if they like their manager. So if their manager is really empowering to them, they'll stick around. Um, And I've talked to a lot of people anecdotally where pretty clearly a, a really big value add for them is to be, to be able to work from home, Hundred percent of the time, Um, especially in countries or you know cities like uh, Jakarta or Nairobi, you know, lots of traffic. We've talked to candidates who are, you know, a manager, you know, running an English language school, but they just don't want to commute two hours each way each day. And so, working from home, they're very, very happy and empowered. Um, So, as long as you know the person they're reporting to is someone that they can look up to and they're learning from and enables them, if they're doing work that they believe in. They're getting pushed if they have an opportunity to grow in their career um, th- that's a huge part of, of making it all work and th- that's a huge input of, of running a business like this. you know there's the client side, there's the operational efficiency side and then there's the people success side. It's massively important you know we're uh, you know the real value from working with a company like ours is finding the people that have been at the company for a while and have seen a lot of things and are kind of leaders in their own way and connecting to someone like that because if you find a team that's got a bunch of those people in it um they're going to do amazing things i think
0: yeah it's critical to sort of uh accrue more and more solid stable senior staff as the business gets older yeah i'm realizing Mm -hmm. that you know if you if you sort of don't accrue them year after year then i think something's going wrong and
1: yeah um, yeah Something I've actually learned a lot about since working here as well is is leadership isn't just about being an executive. It's about being a leader in your craft as well. And so you can find people that are are kind of leaders just as an agent because they've done it for so long and they've done it across four or five different brands. They kind of just really get it. They understand the tools. They understand the different reports. They understand exactly why different things matter. And if if people can kind of self-lead themselves, self-manage both self-manage and self-lead, that's, that's a really powerful thing.
0: Mm. I heard, you know, someone said about companies, like, just make sure you stay alive, you know, and, yeah. and <laughs> if you have a longer time in market, then, you know, you just yeah. pick up all this stuff and it's kind of the same with individual professionals as well as yeah. you know, once, yeah, once yeah. you've been around the block for 10 years, you just, you just know more, you know, and yeah, it's yeah. really
1: valuable. Huh? What is it? Um, Rule one of business, stay in business. Rule two, refer to rule number one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't, die. don't die, don't That's die. Just stay with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, and so if you, um, you know, sort of choose from a, a buffet of countries and obviously, you know, basing it primarily on capabilities, but obviously salaries vary tremendously between countries mm-hmm. and you know, obviously, you know, you've got the US and all the developed countries, but even sort of in the emerging markets, um, some could be half the price of others. So how how does that influence your selection when you say, you know, well, uh, sort of a standard salary in this country is 700 bucks a month, and a standard salary is 300 bucks a month in this country, double Mm -hmm. down there, like, how does that influence your selection? Uh,
1: Yeah, so, Number one, someone has to be able to do the job, obviously. So it's not, so start there, start with the value that someone will actually create. Um, And then in terms of actual salary definition, uh, we've got a really advanced benchmarking structure. Um, uh, Our head of HR used to work at Mercer Consulting for six years kind of thing. Um, And then we've just built our own benchmarks over time both with the people that work here, as well as um, all the candidates coming in. And so based on that, we've got uh, benchmarks in some cases by city as well. Right.
0: It's, um, it's a complicated thing. I, mm. I had a couple of friends in Emirates, the airline based in Dubai. And mm. of course, all the staff um, live in Dubai. They moved to Dubai for the job, mm. but their salary is based on where, they were recruited from so if they're recruited from sort of africa versus the uk versus america versus hmm. um you know the philippines uh, then yeah. their salaries for doing the same thing vary dramatically and that's, yeah, that's wow. really that's kind of difficult especially yeah, when they're all tricky. based in dubai you know
1: that's that was emirates airlines that does that or yeah yeah,
0: uh, yeah, yeah, yeah wow
1: yeah that, uh, that's unusual yeah we do it, we do it by region so in theory this actually hasn't happened in in a really long time but if someone you know if someone in australia was to move to bali then we'd have to have a, a you know a conversation kind of thing because it's based on region yeah right right
0: and so you are the chief growth officer what you know and you as you say you've been around the block for a while now like what mm-hmm. like and everyone is intrigued in how to grow these things um outsourcing on the surface is such an easy thing to sell. Like there's such a mm. huge value proposition, but a lot of people don't sort of understand. And a lot of people are a little bit wary and things like that. So, you know, you looking from a growth uh, point of view, like what do you see as some of the kind of hacks to to build these things out?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I could go on for a while about this. Um, you know, my advice for any anyone starting out with any business is, Find a niche and do it incredibly well so and and one of the exciting things about this space is there's so it's so big there's so many niches um and and just be experts in your craft in one area and then expand from there um it it's easy to get kind of distracted in this space as well you know chasing the rfps that come in where you know they kind of just see you as a commodity. And, and that can be a bit of a waste of time. So if, if you kind of just map out the, the ideal client you want to work with, um, then map out what makes your service exceptional. Um, make sure you can actually deliver that and actually meet those types of clients. Um, then I think you'll have a pretty good business.
0: Right. And do, I, I don't want you to give away all of your secrets, but... Um you know, you mentioned RFPs there and I think they're pretty mm. tougher. you know, and there's a big investment up front. And so for mm. you is growth finding sort of one sales channel and doubling down on it, or is it, does it also extend to sort of marketing and digital and SEO and what is sort of growth for you and, and where do you see the most value in focusing?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I, I think with any business referrals are the best bu- is the best client. So through existing clients or through your network, um so you know, as advice to someone else, start there. Um, you know, find a partner, you know, outsource accelerator. I think that's a good place to start. Um uh yeah, you know, we've we've dabbled with a lot of different distribution channels over the years and um the other ups and downs. The the thing you have to be careful with in this space is even if you find a great distribution channel, it can be competitive really quickly. Because, you know, a, a client, you know, a high value client comes in and makes the whole distribution channel worthwhile. And next thing you know, a competitor's, you know, throwing, you know, big time and money at it. So even once you find that channel, you have to always be looking for that next one at the same time, I think. Um, and the places I've worked at before, you know, it's lower customer value type businesses. So you can kind of build a moat around one channel, whereas in the services space, um, moats can be modes can be crossed <laughs> or that mode right. that mode has to be pretty big. <laughs> so you just have to be ready to, to create the next one. And do you find that
0: clients um, get a little bit sort of, uh, you know, unloyal and a little bit sort of wizened? Like, do they, you know, can they play off CX suppliers against each other and, you know, just flip out to another CX? Do you find that a lot in the market or do people want to really Truly partnership.
1: Yeah, it's a mix. So obviously, you know, when you go up market, you get these really experienced procurement people who are like playing us off each other. Um, and you have to be ready to play in that space. Um, or, or you'll just kind of get destroyed. I think, um, on the smaller end of town, you know, it kind of depends who you're working with. So when you're, when you're working with smaller teams, you know they're often more interested in value than cost, so it's really about just creating and showing value on a regular basis, and they'll want to keep working with you. I think a lot of these smaller companies, and especially when you work with operators, and when I say small, these are often you know multi-million dollar businesses. I I just mean like the team that you're working with is like three people versus three hundred kind of thing. Um, but you know they they want to find a trusted long-term partner, and as long as you're you know, your your commitments, your boundaries, your pricing is reasonable. They'll want to keep working with you if if you value them the way they want to value you. So, you know, start on the value side.
0: Got it. And how have you seen the industry evolve over 10 years, seven years with uh, the emergence of AI and, um, yeah. but just all these tools? I, I, I've recently seen a ton of SaaS being developed for the call center for the CX space, whereas, you know, I don't mm-hmm. think that was happening kind of five, 10 years ago. What have, what have you seen evolve yeah. in those departments?
1: Yeah, it's been it's been amazing to watch. Well, I, I think, I mean, the most amazing thing, you know, when I joined, there was very, like you mentioned Taskus at the beginning. Taskus was one of the only companies that was really trying to differentiate with brands at the time. And now it's like every one of our competitors has like a cool brand, you know? So I think that's a big thing that's changed I think a lot of these companies are focusing on the lower end of the market now too. You mentioned that in one of your other podcasts, actually, um, how that's like an interesting space to watch. Um, I've definitely seen that play out. It, you know, it's really amazing. Like so many of the no's we got back in the days, you know, people just don't want to talk to a third party. There was such a stigma up with outsourcing and that's really changed that that's probably the biggest thing that's changed over the years. We've got these really you know, you got brands with, you know, 4.9 out of five star, you know, trust pilot ratings, like approaching us, right? Like these aren't the types of companies that would talk to us or even consider talking to us six, seven years ago. Um, and that, that's, that's a really great development. I think, I think that's, that's a really big shift that that's partially, you know, our space, but also just the way companies operate now. Right. Um, so that's, that's been a big shift. Um, and then you know, I, I the find with
0: CX today, that, you know, 20 years ago, the companies would handle it themselves because it's kind of like answering a few emails, whereas now it's getting so complex, huh? Like it's omnichannel and it's sort of inbound outbound. And then it's kind of potentially like tweeting and a little bit of social media. It gets super complex. And Uh, I think that these companies uh, are going, Hey, we need to get the
1: specialists in to manage this. Yeah. Yep. Specialists complicated. And also there's just a lot more of it. There's a lot more messages, um, to work with and the tooling's gotten easier to have conversations and it's easier to map a conversation to an improvement in customer lifetime value. So I think the value of having high quality experiences for your customers is is easier to see now, which is then also leading to more investment in the space. Got it. And
0: what about AI? Everyone says it's going to wipe out all of outsourcing and everyone's yeah. either going to be sitting on the beach or unemployed. Like what, uh, what yeah, are you yeah.
1: Yeah, no. Um, every, everyone seems to have a, a strong opinion on that these days. Um, so we've been a company of technologists from the beginning. We've known AI was going to be coming from the beginning. It already has in certain areas. Um, t- two kind of high level thoughts on AI. One, and this is this is kind of like half me, half the company, the, the founders here might say something else. Um, so I see AI it has an immediate effect in two places. One is I see, it's a, I see it as a subset of this broader category called you know, automations and self-service support, which has been around from the, as long as I've been here. The other thought I have on AI is a lot of the conversation is about, hey, AI is gonna replace humans. I think we're a long ways away from that. Maybe not, um, but I think we're a long ways away from that. Where it's gonna have the biggest application and it already is, and this this is where it's having more of an application today in other areas is enabling the best people. And you know you'll see this with an engineering workforce where uh, you know a 10x engineer is now a 100x engineer using GitHub Copilot. And I think the same thing is going to emerge over the next year or two with AI tools for the support agent or for the CX manager. Now, in doing that, that might reduce the need for headcount, but it's not. It's not really replacing agents as much. It's more about empowering, you know, your top agents and your top managers. So I, I think that's where we're gonna see it play out the most in the beginning and where it's, we're already starting to see it play out. Um, and then and then longer term, you know, yeah, I think with certain markets, it'll replace people. Um, also the market we work in is, uh, you know, we generally work with clients that have a really high standard for customer experience. And I think that's one of the, um, and often there's a lot, there's, there's a lot of processes that are always changing. You know, you have the occasional high value partner popping into your, into your help desk kind of thing. So there's a lot to lose if you mess something up. And I think those types of companies are probably going to be one of the last to use AI to support, to replace a customer service team. Um, the areas where you'll see AI replace humans the earliest is companies where they just kind of, you know, sti- they look at the numbers and they say a customer experience doesn't really matter. And there's a lot of those types of companies. You know, you think about a company that doesn't respond to your message for three weeks. Um, those are the types of companies that are going to use AI first, I think.
0: In my limited experience of CX, it, it kind of seems fundamentally very easy where it gets difficult and where I think, you know, then customers are unhappy and stuff is where the resolution is complex. And then Mm. you've got these CX agents that are maybe the best agents in the world, but they're having to deal with the back ends of businesses that are really Mm -hmm. complex. Maybe there's multiple systems. Maybe there isn't an easy solution. Maybe the invoicing is all broken. And yep. then it's not really a CX issue; it's kind of a company-wide issue, and I think totally. this is more common than you know. Then we realize, like, how do you, as a sort of, then you're just sort of providing the NCX manage those clients where it's just it's just really complex to to get the problems resolved.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I actually thought you were going to go in a slightly different direction with that because I think that problem is a great application for AI. It's about retrieving information and making certain things more visible for the agents and the managers. But in terms of navigating that problem without AI, um, I mean, that's exactly where you want the management layer on top of the agents. And that's why we deliver, we only operate a managed service. We don't just say, here's some agents, good luck. And that management layer makes sure that the agents are empowered with the right information that's up to date um, and builds out whatever systems needed to to make make it work because we seen, because actually when we um when we first launched dedicated agents you know we're a bunch of we're like someone's asking for agents here's some agents um and sure enough it just failed because someone asked for agents but they really need you know nine times out of ten someone needs processes to empower the agents and they need certain standards and they need you know qa happening behind the scenes to make sure it's happening and regular assessments and all that and so i think sifting through the information and processes and the latest releases and what not to say and whatever else company updates and making that, uh, you know, again, message sent, is it received in someone's head? Do they understand it? Um, Are they referencing that when they're talking to a customer Um, that requires a management layer to empower the agent?
0: And if there's sort of fundamental issues with the client company in terms of, you know, the invoice is broken because of this process, do you sort of then reach over and say, Hey guys, this really needs to be fixed or, you know, would Mm -hmm. the client then see that as overreaching?
1: (laughs) No, no, no. That like, um, I mean, I don't want to speak for every client we work with, but most of them. And back four years ago, I talked with every client and pretty much every one of them would want us to, I mean, they want feedback and then, you know, where we can, if we can improve things, we'll improve things. Absolutely. So we don't, You know, in terms of what someone buys when they work from us, we don't set up the CX strategy for them. We don't tell them what their CX strategy should be. Um, But what we do is we build out the systems and the playbooks and the automations or whatever else we need to do to empower the agents. And so in in a lot of cases, we do a lot of that work through uh, through the team leader level.
0: Got it. And what are your thoughts for the next five years? Are you optimistic? You see a lot of growth ahead and what are the plans for Influx?
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm really optimistic. Um, I love it here. I think we're in a really fun space. I think the broader world of funded tech companies and e-com brands, that seems to be picking up a bit just in the last month or two. So that's that's promising for our whole space. I think, I think we're... You know, I got into the workforce 2005 so almost 20 years ago and you know there was the 2008 crash but then it was like a 15year bull run um, you know where most people were just thinking about growth and profit came second and then I think there's been this kind of really healthy shift where more companies you know one of the positives of a, of a shift moment is people are really challenging assumptions around how to run a company most effectively. And you know, it's kind of like healthy change in terms of best practices. And I think the way companies run is gonna, already has changed significantly in the last year. And I think that trend will continue. And, and something I'm watching is kind of what priorities companies choose, you know, operating over the next five years. Cause I think it's gonna be a little bit different than the previous five years. Um, and I think service providers play a really important place in that new way that companies are going to operate where more companies are going to say, how do we keep our headcount lower? How do we, you know, invest more in the, in, you know, partnerships and brand, but, you know, work with a partner on the operational side. Um, I think that's going to become more common um, and we sit, we sit right in that world. So I'm, I'm excited.
0: Exciting times. Alex, thank you so much. So of course I recommend people reach out, have a conversation and, and sort of see how it can be applied to their business. If, if people want to know more, how can they uh, learn about Influx or get in touch?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, Influx.com is the website. I'm Alex. Uh, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn or uh, alex.holmes at Influx.com is my email address. Um, and yeah, we'll have, we'll have a chat. Um, I also just really like talking to people in the space. If they want to give me feedback, they just want like high level information about us or ideas or whatever, or, you know, if you're starting your own, you know, business in the space, that's kind of related. I'm, I'm happy to chat, um, and all that. So I'm around.
0: That was Alex Holmes of influx.com. As always, if you want to reach out to Alex or know more about this podcast, get the show notes at outsource slash podcast. And as always, if you want to email us, then just drops a line to ask at OutsourceAccelerator.com. See you next time.